0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, a documentary filmmaker explores the legend of the wild man around the world.
2: A video supposedly shot in a part of Iraq at night when these men confront what looks like a dev peeking out from behind a bush and showing its teeth. Which in chimpanzee, researchers can point and note that if a chimpanzee is showing its teeth, it means I'm telling you to back off. Go away. These things are going to hurt you. When you look at that video, you see what seems to be primate behavior.
0: Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free, and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android, available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Wednesday. Darcy Weir, the director-producer of Sasquatch Among Wild Men, is standing by. Interesting film. I learned a lot. Now, we all know about Sasquatch and Yeti in the Himalayas, but I didn't know Bigfoot and Yeti are closely linked with wild men legends and sightings around the world. Did you know, for example, that there are wild men or Bigfoot sightings in the Middle East? I didn't think so. Me neither. Darcy Weir is a young filmmaker who recently completed a new documentary based on the theory that relic hominids like Sasquatch live in deep wilderness all around the world. He uncovers some interesting scientific evidence and connections between sightings in China, Russia, and the United States. Darcy has also been making a series of documentaries that focus on UFOs, secret space programs, underground bases like Area 51, and Phil Schneider's Dulce New Mexico Testimonials, and Bigfoot. His documentaries take on an analysis from a theoretical perspective, showing historical references and facts that surround each mystery. His new documentary series called Beyond the Spectrum can be found on Amazon Prime, 2 TV, and many other streaming platforms to view. Hey Darcy, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: Richard, I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure. Sasquatch Among Wild Men. When you were producing this documentary, tell me about some of the places that you visited.
2: Sure. Well, I went to two conferences to investigate uh, the Olympic Project gentlemen um, down in Washington State. Uh, The first conference I went to was earlier in 2019, and I saw Derek Randalls and Shane Corson do a presentation on their, their findings of uh, these nests in the Olympic National Park. And um, I reached out to Shane after the presentation and uh, we started communicating and I said, look, I'd love to interview you at the Sasquatch Summit, which came up at the end of 2019, another conference with Somewhere around, I'd say, 4,000 people, quite a lot of people in attendance to not only share their experiences of encounters, but uh, to watch some presentations on uh, some of the, f- you know, foremost researchers in, in the, the subject. Um, so Washington State, I traveled out to Idaho, uh, the Panhandle State, to interview Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and his lab laboratory at the university there, um, where he teaches, uh, and that, and, and parts of Canada, um, uh, British Columbia, uh, to, you know, interview folks, uh, like Bill Miller and, and, uh, he, he's now passed. I didn't actually include his, uh, stuff into the documentary. Uh, but, um, yeah, he, he was featured in a documentary I did before this one called The Unwonted Sasquatch, uh, which was released back in 2016. Uh, and that's, that's where I went.
0: This is such well-trodden territory, Sasquatch Bigfoot. What's new? What did you discover that adds new information to this arena?
2: You're dead right about that. This has been covered quite a lot in history. And what I wanted to do in this presentation was to highlight new information like the nests that I I spoke about earlier. Um, These nests that were found in the Olympic National Park, uh, that's part of the Washington state. Um, These were found originally by a a uh, woodfeller, a logger that was going through with a big machine, you know, just mowing down trees and, and shrubs and stuff along its way for the, uh, the wood industry, for, for, for that industry. And uh, he came across these perfectly woven, let's say, uh, strange-looking bird-looking nests, like giant bird-looking nests, let's say. Into huckleberry bushes, and um, you know this this guy's been doing this for over twenty years. He was a little bit spooked because he could see signs that these were being lived in by something, uh, and he did reach out to uh, some other folks. And when reports came to the Olympic Project guys, uh, Shane Corson, Derek Randalls, David Ellis, and such, um, they did their research, they traveled out there and you know if you look at what they put together in terms of uh material um these can't be deer beds because deer usually just pad down tall grass and such. They can't be bear beds because bears usually just scrape together um duff on the forest floor, bark and and muddy sort of stick material to make things softer for them to lay in, and they're not wood rat uh, wood rat nests. Wood rat nests would be something that looks a little bit more cleverly designed, but it looks like something uh, a beaver would assemble, but on land. You know, just a bunch, a pile of sticks. This was something that was very cleverly woven together. You know, with a lower uh, padding section that was uh thicker branches and then um sticking down into this sort of mattress of sticks, um some more buoyant and fresher vegetation that was ripped off of huckleberry bushes and such. And it looked like it was supporting something much larger than than say a man most of the time. Um, So I guess that was one of the new things. You don't really hear about that in in this research field too often. Another thing I wanted to draw some connections to were the fact that there are sightings not only across North America, Canada and the U.S. predominantly, but there are sightings in China. And the title of the film is Sasquatch Among Wild Men. The Yeren is a wild man which is the direct translation of what Yeren means in Chinese. And there are history, uh, historical reports of this creature being seen by the Chinese people in their national forests for hundreds, if not thousands of years in their scriptures, in their, uh, you know, their oral tradition as well. And, um, even in modern history, if you watch the documentary, we do an expose on that and what the findings were by hunters and uh, just hikers and such that were in the Shenanjia National Rainforest, uh, some of their encounters they had. And quite similarly, some of the encounters have happened uh, in very similar ways to how we experience Bigfoot. Um, for example, many people say that they see Bigfoot or Sasquatch sightings at night. They report eye shine, uh, which is a nocturnal sort of uh, evolutional trait for a, a creature. Usually, if, if you're meant to be traveling around at night, you should have. A more advanced eye to see in those conditions. Um, and many people report them crossing roads, you know, forest roads, logging roads at night. Um, that's the most common uh, account. And then there's hunters and, and hikers and such that see them in the forest. But in this documentary, we show the Yaron report where four men were in a car at night. They saw this thing obstructing a highway in China, and when the driver had to stop because this thing was almost hit by the car, they got out, they saw it was a large ape-like creature uh, standing over them, so they threw rocks at it and such to make it go away. Um, Probably not the best way to treat an animal that we're trying to find, but uh, I find that and the connection with hair samples that have been found in nest sites in China to be quite interesting as well, because hair samples were taken from the Olympic National Park findings of the nests there, and they were sent off to a lab in New York um, and analyzed, likewise to the samples done uh, found in near test uh, nest sites in in China, and so. What commonly happens, these hair samples come back and they get linked to something that is man-like but shows extra or missing information that seems uh, more linked to a primate. And um, that is commonly reported when hair samples are analyzed.
0: You mentioned the Yeren, you also have a similar story going back millennia, I suppose in, in Russia, the Almasti?
2: Sure. the Almasty or, or could be referred to as the Alma. Um, Almas have been seen throughout Eastern Europe and Russia for millennia. Um, and some people you know we have a fossil record of relic hominids which we know the Neanderthal to have existed. This could be described as a stocky, more ape-like looking man, um, quite muscular, more robust than most people look these days naturally, and uh, covered from head to toe in thick fur or hair. So the almasty has been reported being seen in their forests in Eastern Europe and parts of Russia. Uh, to possibly even exist today. There's been sightings and um, reports of these things walking on the outskirts of towns near the wilderness. And, um, you know, when we have fossil record of these sort of relic hominids, I wonder if maybe some of these hominids that we expected to be extinct by now possibly could be still existing uh, in scarce numbers deep in the wilderness. And, uh, likewise with the study of Sasquatch and gigantic, uh, sorry, the, uh, Bigfoot, which would be the same species in North America, but one is a Canadian name. One is a, well, one is a native Canadian indigenous name, the Sasquatch. And the other one is the Bigfoot, which comes from American lore. Um, this would some say, be linked to possibly the uh, finding of Australopithecus or Gigantopithecus. And
0: then within North America, how many species, I suppose you could say, how many species? We we hear about skunk apes. We hear about the, the height differential between the, the Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest versus those in, say, Appalachia. How many species do you think there might be in North America?
2: Yeah, you know, I would say that... If we were looking at, say, the gigantopithecus, which we know existed, the f- first fossils and teeth and bones were found of this in Asia. We actually do a, um, you know, remind people that even the bear, which we think originated as a species in North America, because we have so many different varieties of bears in North America black bear, brown bear, grizzly. You know, even if you go into Alaska, still part of our continent is uh, the polar bear. Well, the bear actually originated in Asia. And um, it's through the connection of the Bering Strait, the Bering Ice Bridge, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago that the genetic migration came to North America. And if we look at findings of the Gigantopithecus, which... We found fossil remains of in Asia. This was an upright ape, um, stood anywhere between eight feet to 12 feet tall, had a cone shaped head, was more of a gorilla looking being. Uh, You know, they could tell by its dentition that it ate a combination of foliage and uh, possibly meat of animals. So, By that description, we can make some connections to eyewitness testimony of Bigfoot or Sasquatch in North America, some of the bigger sightings. Some people have even said have been, this thing looked massive, 12 feet tall, and um, some say 8 feet tall. Well, then you get down to some shorter uh, sightings and reports, some things that look almost again, Neanderthal-like, and then any size in between, but they always have what looks like ape-like features. And if, just like human beings, I don't look anything like a Chinese man. I'm uh, a Caucasian man. My eye folds are uh, evident. My nose structure is different. Uh, My skin tone is quite different. But the rest of my parts are pretty much the same, bones and and, uh, sexual reproductive organs and all, Um, but I'm a different height. Well, I think that same sort of thing can apply if we were to assume that these creatures could live in deep wilderness in North America. They may have evolved and um, changed their variety of look as they spread throughout North America, depending on the climactic conditions, you mentioned the skunk ape, Um, that would be something that's used to wading in bogs and swamps, Um, and probably needed to be a bit shorter at certain points to hide from Homo sapiens if we're coming uh, close by. Um, And then the Sasquatch, may have have evolved to be taller and more robust because this thing is scaling um, mountainous regions where it has to climb or scramble on all fours and and sometimes on its hind legs to get over uh, rocky terrain that is at a steep incline as well as uh, thickly... uh, you know, dense forest areas that are on an incline. And reports will affirm that that's what seems to be reported in those different types of terrain. So in terms of species, I think that what we have in North America, when we mention Bigfoot or Sasquatch or Mississippi skunk ape, uh, I think it's all the same species, but it's just more adapted to its environment that it currently inhabits.
0: Tell me about Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. Who is he and, and what did he contribute to the, to the documentary?
2: Sure. So um, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and I have been communicating for over five years now. Uh, I interviewed him the first time back in 2015 when I was putting together a documentary on the subject called The Unwanted Sasquatch. Rather uh, odd name, some people would say. But I met with him the first time out in his laboratory at Idaho State University, the Panhandle State, Um, and he teaches anthropology there. He studied um, wildlife locomotion when he was uh, coming up as a uh, student himself in the uh, academic system. And he learned, you know, the locomotion of primates, um, all kinds for that matter, and studied the differences between us and and how they move and the terrain and such that we're confronted with and uh, that they are in their natural habitat that makes them move differently. Um, He says that when he first became enamored or interested in this subject was actually when he saw the Patterson Gimlin film as a young man I think he was a young teenager when he first saw that film that was famously shot back in 1967 and as time went on as uh, you know the interests of a young man to an adult man wax and wane over time he uh, was focused on his studies and, and, uh, he believes, you know, the subject because it's reported every year, every era as we go on by many people internationally, it was, uh, you know, a nexus for him in his studies to come back to it and to take serious investigation of, of the possibility that this thing existed in deep wilderness. Um, And he really has been all around the world studying different encounters that have been had by people in Russia, um, you know, Poland, China, uh, Canada, the United States, everywhere. Um, And he's built a database not only of over 300 different footcasts from these encounters internationally, Uh, But um, the eyewitness testimony, people that seem to be credible and and sane individuals that had a startling encounter, when those startling encounters happened, police officers officers may have been uh, called upon, and um, then some data was documented uh, from them and the people that came to investigate. And, And often... More often than not, footprints are found. Uh, and one of his specialities in investigating this is looking at the, the pathology, the anatomy of these footprints. Um, and, you know, that is something everybody will know, whether you're a skeptic or a believer in this subject, everybody talks about the footprints. Well, why? Because... That's where, you know, the smoking gun and information really is. You have, obviously, some hoaxed footprints out there. You have people that will go out and attract attention to themselves um, when they see a subject attracting a lot of attention. And the footprints that are fake are made by things called stompers, which are pretty much a carved foot on a stick or strapped onto people's feet and they stomp around in mud and soft dirt to create impressions. But the impressive thing about the real footprints is that they show signs and anatomy of a real working foot in motion. And these usual real sightings happen with footprints that go on for yards, hundreds of feet, maybe a mile into the bush and investigators usually lose the footprints because they can't go any deeper themselves into these uh, areas. Not only because uh, they're tired and they've hunted enough, or but also because they are being confronted by terrain that is just uneasy to negotiate. We're talking about elevations and rocks and and deep foliage at this point. So I take um, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum's contributions to this research very seriously. He's done uh, a very good job of documenting the most credible information out there on this subject.
0: More of my conversation with Darcy Weir when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I can't stop talking about the Pomegranate Super Tea from my friends at Get The Tea. They actually changed the name. It used to be known as Formula 13 Pomegranate Cleansing Tea, but this gentle cleansing tea now contains a new, stronger formula. All I know is it still tastes great, it's still refreshing, and it still provides me with energy and a sense of well-being. This new blend of tea contains some of the same ingredients as those that are in the Life Change Teas, but with added natural pomegranate flavor and stevia. give it a natural, slightly sweetened taste. One pouch of tea contains eight tea bags, enough to last for one month. I brew two gallons at a time, and then it steeps in cold water. Into the fridge it goes, and that's enough to last for the week. I start my day every day with a 16-ounce cool refreshing glass of this amazing herbal non-GMO caffeine-free tea. It provides a daily gentle cleanse that rids my body of any intruders. A healthy gut is the key to a healthy body. So, come on board and find out for yourself. The Super Tea also comes in peppermint. These teas are not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Get your tea from GetTheTea.com.
1: Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: Documentary filmmaker Darcy Weir is here discussing his new film, Sasquatch Among Wild Men. I was surprised to learn that even the Middle East has a version of the wild man. I believe it's called The Dev.
2: Yeah, the dev can be found uh, in parts of the Middle East, like Iraq, and also in parts of Eastern Europe, it's been said, um, you know, into, say, parts of Poland, people have reported to the Ukraine. Um, and just like uh, the reports of other wild men, let's say the Sasquatch, uh, it seems to have what is reported as a cone shaped head. Sometimes uh, it's covered in thick black fur um, and it can be stockier and it can be quite tall as well, but it's known to live at higher ele- elevations away from the populace of people. And uh, we kind of do a bit of an expose on a, a video supposedly uh, shot in a part of Iraq at night when these men confront what looks like a dev peeking out from behind a bush and showing its teeth, which in um, chimpanzee, uh, you know, researchers can point and note that if a chimpanzee is showing its teeth, uh, it's not actually a cute sign or some kind of funny thing that they're doing, although we see them do it, when they're being trained in wildlife shows or uh comedies where chimpanzees are featured but in their natural habitat if a chimpanzee is showing you its teeth it means i'm telling you to back off go away uh these things are going to hurt you you know and there's the face ripper monkey he might have been showing his teeth at that lady before he uh Took a swipe and, and bit her face off. Right, right. Um, so, when you look at that video, you see what seems to be primate behavior. Whether or not that is a dev, um, I don't know. But it's quite quite an interesting video to analyze.
0: Uh, tell me about the orang pendek. Where is that from?
2: Uh, the orang pendek can be found in uh, places like Sumatra, Indonesia. Um, it's said to be what looks like, uh, a relic monkey man, you know, um, if we were to relate Gigantopithecus to more of a gorilla type man, um, the orang pendek does not stand very tall comparatively to its, uh, cousins and it's, uh, footprints can be found throughout indonesia there actually are orang pendek hunters much uh alike to uh sasquatch or bigfoot hunters um you can look it up online it's spelled o-r-a-n-g no e at the end and then pendek p-e-n-d-e-k um its foot is small obviously because it's it's uh you know, it, it's it's a smaller stature. The, the creature has been said to stand anywhere between 3 to 3.5 feet tall. Um, and it's got a divergent medial, it has divergent medial toes, short digits, um, a tapered heel, occupying uh, mostly Southeast Asia, uh, mainland and islands. And uh, it, it can also go by the Ibu Gogo is another name that they call it uh, locally. but um, funny enough, we've actually found uh, there's a documentary that I think either E or National Geographic did recently on um, what they call the Hobbit um, remains that have been found in jungles occupying, occupying the same uh, Asian mainland and islands. Uh, area, and uh, the Hobbit stands about the same uh, height from all the accounts that people have had over the, the uh, years of Orang Pendek, and uh, it seems to have the same physical features. Um, so I wonder if, again, this is a relic hominid that we have found remains for, and we're saying that has extinct. But maybe we're finding uh, some kind of truth that it, it could exist still today.
0: Uh, another gentleman that's featured in the documentary, and I'm not sure if he's part of the Olympic project. Was it Derek
2: Randall's? That is, yes. Derek Randall's is, he actually founded the Olympic project. Ah. That's right. Uh,
0: tell me about his encounter that he recounts in the doc.
2: So he had an encounter, uh, I believe back in the 1980s, he and a group of friends were hiking through, um, Washington state through the the mountainous area there. And, uh, they were planning to camp out for a night. They had parked their cars and, and done, you know, maybe 10 to 16 kilometers of, uh, uh, hike into the wilderness. And, uh, Right around dusk when they were looking for an area to put down their, their, their campground uh, to settle in for the night, uh, they started getting rocks thrown at them. And these were fairly good-sized rocks. They weren't uh, stones. They were kind of like uh, a bit of a, a boulder, something that you would put two hands on, uh, like a small bowling ball, let's say, you know, a little... Uh, five-pin bowling alleys some people go to. Right, right. But, we, um, we know
0: that up here in Canada. The five-pin is uh, Canadian.
2: <laughs> oh, it's it's. I guess it's unique to us. Well, it's lucky us. But yeah, the small bowling ball-sized uh, stones were being lobbed their way, and um, they were being very startled by this. Um, when they started to whiz past more and more people in the group, they figured you know what? Um, I don't think they thought right away that it was anything like a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, uh, showing this aggressive behavior to them. I think the first thing they thought was we're unwelcome here and somebody like a human is trying to make sure we know that. So they started to just grab their stuff and, 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 and get out of there. And, um, as they were, you know, putting their backpacks on and running down the uh, hill, um, Derek recalls actually getting his pistol out. They had their headlamps on. And when he looked up the trail at that point, he was at the end of the pack of these people. Um, he saw the silhouette of what looked like a large, hairy, primate looking thing on, you know, it's upright on its hind feet, quite, quite tall, eight to 10 feet tall, standing, looking down at him up the hill on the same trail. Um, he was spooked. He forgot he even had the gun. He felt that powerless. And he just started to catch up with the others running down the hill. And, um, they went back, uh, some of them he found his first footprints up in that same area that, uh, by all accounts, would match what you would call a Sasquatch or Bigfoot print, uh, you know, 18, 16-inch long tracks. And that's really where his journey started in the investigation of this, uh, this realm or this theory that a relic hominid still lives with us today.
0: What's the, 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 what's the latest science? Where, I mean, where does, it, and where does it go from here?
2: You know, I think the latest science would be having more than just Jeff Meldrum, a mainstream scientist, taking this seriously, and some expeditions into areas that have been hotspots for sightings of these creatures a controlled study where um, multiple people are possibly inhabiting an area which is known to harbor these creatures for more than just a, a month, you know, let's say a year, because I think you'll be able to collect the right amount of data. Now, I will mention that some people in the conspiracy sort of Uh, theory side of this this study do believe that the information has been studied by some institutions. For example, there have been FBI documents that have been declassified on um, Sasquatch and Bigfoot reports. Um, And if you look at the 1973 environmental atlas for Washington State that was published by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, This actually shows illustrations and markings in the national forest areas of where there have been tracks and sightings, um, and it includes places like Oregon, Northern California, and British Columbia. If the United States... Uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are taking interest in this and documenting it for their own people to, you know, watch out for if they're going to be working in these areas. That has me sort of believe that maybe certain institutions know more about this uh, and don't want, for some reason, they're keeping the information suppressed. Some other people may say uh, that Part of the reason they could be suppressing this is due to the logging industry, due to the industry that puts food and money uh, into the pockets and on the table for many families across North America. And if we did report an endangered species like this that truly does exist, perhaps they'd have to shut down logging in certain areas of, of North America.
0: Hmm. Um, I wanted to, you mentioned hair samples a while ago. I wanted to, uh, come back to that and I don't know if you've been following or if there are any updates on the work of Dr. Melba Ketchum and her DNA analysis of hair samples.
2: Yes. And, um, even Dr. Meldrum has done, uh, an eDNA study where he's trying to organize, organize enough funds to do such a large swath of eDNA comparison to fully narrow down the samples that we've had over the years um, and fully get a, a, a better analysis. Because when it comes up as an unknown primate for these hair samples that we've had, um, obviously a human is a primate. We're still a, a, sap- we're a homo sapien. We're just a, a further evolved, more advanced primate that's mostly hairless. Um, And unfortunately, the old samples get debunked because, well, we're unknown primates if you look into it quite vaguely. But the eDNA studies that uh, Melba Melba Ketchum are, are doing are very important for the study,
0: you know, coincidentally, the, uh, I, b- I believe it's today that the documentary is available. How do we see it?
2: Um, yeah, actually, you can see it across the United States on um, cable, like Cox and Verizon Fios, Dish Network. Um, and, uh, and then if you like to stream your content through a computer, your mobile device, or through the app on a TV, there's... Amazon Prime, um, iTunes, YouTube, uh, Red, uh, Google Play, to name name a few. But I would love people's feedback. And uh, if they want to pop a rating on IMDb or Amazon after they've checked it out, um, I'd love to see how people interact with this story.
0: Sasquatch Among Wild Men, and it's uh, out today. Darcy, great meeting you. Thank you for this.
2: Yeah, great to meet you too, Richard. Um, Hopefully we get to speak in the future again sometime.
0: Look forward to it. Thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. What can I say about ESS-60 I haven't already said? It's a miracle in a bottle. ESS-60 is pure carbon-60. And carbon-60 is a miracle molecule that earned its discoverers a Nobel Prize in chemistry. I've been taking a tablespoon of ESS60 for my friends at C60 EVO every morning for nearly a year. What a difference it's made in my life. It delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. I'm pain-free, energized, and I'm sleeping better than I have in decades. ESS 60 from C60 EVO is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that really works. And now you can experience C60 EVO's new Advanced Facial Serum the groundbreaking new anti-aging formula that incorporates ESS-60, plus 21 organic, natural, and vegan ingredients. This luxuriant formulation is specifically blended to soften and heal your skin. Put it on at night, enjoy the subtle rosemary essence, and awaken to noticeably softer skin. To get your ESS-60 and C60's new advanced facial serum, go to episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 EVO link. And don't forget to use the code RS1-SPEC, RS1-SPEC, for 5% off. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief examines reports of widespread fraud during the U.S. election. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
1: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.